if you look around today, you will see that humanity has many, many problems. Humanity is still suffering from famine. If you go to Eritrea today, there is famine there. There is still civil war all around us. Terrorism, natural disasters and droughts even in our country. The pandemic is not over around the world. There's been a drop in moral standards. There have been attacks on the family. There have been all sorts of strife on issues, issues of race and gender. Among all these problems, I want to note another problem which sort of feeds in to these problems. And that is the growing problem, that sense of purposelessness. No purpose in life. An inability, if you like, to find a definite answer to the question about the meaning of life. There are all sorts of problems. But sometimes when we get a philosophical and theological undercutting to them, it's easier to see. And this is not just a philosophical discussion. It's a very real discussion. Because time and time again, people are asking, what is the meaning of life? I can't get it. I don't get it. Is there meaning in life anymore? The end of the 19th century and the 20th century itself, traditional ways of looking at things were eroded. Everything was questioned. People wanted to rethink tradition. Tradition was seen as old-fashioned. It was seen as something that needs to be revised. It needs to be updated like our computers. Those of you, and I've spoken on this uh, recently, I've just re-noted, but 20th century man was constantly asking this question. After World War II, they were asking this question. And uh, the two thinkers I, I noted in a, a previous talk were Sartre and Camus, the French existentialist writers. And they realized what Nietzsche had said, that, you know, God was dead, according to them. So what's the purpose in life? We're not here to serve God. There isn't a God. Why am I here? Am I here just for myself? Am I here for anyone else? Is there anything such as morality? Is there anything? Well, why should I exist? Camus asked the question, why should I not commit suicide? Why not? Why not? You know, there's no meaning in life, no ulterior meaning. We all need purpose. I don't care who you are. You need purpose. Whether you're an unbeliever, a believer, you need purpose in life. You need a reason to get up every morning. Honestly, you really do. And sometimes you find that out when you lose your job. Those of you who've been out of a job lately because of COVID and your, your work has shut down and you've got to stay at home, suddenly you wake up in the morning and you think, well, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do? Some people who retire, not everyone by any means, but some people who retire think, goodness gracious, what am I going to do now? 
Some people who retire work harder than they worked before that, but that's besides the point. But you know, it's like, it's like waiting. People are waiting for meaning, and they, and they can't see any purpose in life. And when things get hard and there is no overarching purpose, they don't know what to do. I've often used the illustration of a bus stop. You can stand at the bus stop if you expect the bus to come. But if you don't think a bus is coming, standing at the bus stop is pointless. And you know, most people don't think there is a bus. And they're waiting. Now, the Christian is different, as we will see. I reference again Samuel Beckett's Waiting for God. It was one of the great plays of the 20th century, illustrating this purposelessness. And it's in this context that I want to begin our series on Ephesians. And I want to begin our series of, on Ephesians on this because in these verses that we have just read, we learn this. God has a plan. In the midst of purposelessness, God has a purpose. Life does get confusing at times. Many times we lose the plot because of things that happen. Yet in this passage, and in many other passages in the Bible, God declares that he has a plan, and a plan from eternity. A plan has always been there. Being here is not meaningless. There is meaning. And I want to give that foundation, if you like, right in the beginning of our studies on Ephesians. That plan is from eternity, as I said. And you see this in the first few verses. Listen, verse 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. He chose us. Verse 5. He predestined us. Verse 11. Chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him. Before creation, God was planning this world. He was planning creation. And the great news is he was even planning you. Wow. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Pastor, does he, does he really mean that? Look for yourself. Yes, he does. He actually means it. God has a plan for humanity. There is purpose in creation. It's not an accident. There is purpose in human history. There is purpose in our living. Because God has planned. Now, that raises questions. I understand that. Some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, easy for you to say that. But it, there's so much danger of extremes, Pastor. Yeah, you're right. You're dead right. Of course there is. People go to extremes. Some people go to extremes when it comes to God planning and God predestinating and organizing things. And they go to such an extreme that I'm going to call it fatalism. Fatalism, another word, is determinism. In other words, whatever happens is God's will. Can't do anything about it. We just accept it. That's how it is. So I am who I am and that's it. That's an extreme. An extreme. 
The other form of that is something called deism. God made the world like making a watch. He wound it up. Remember that? People used to wind watches. Some of you are thinking, what? Wind watches? I didn't work. Well, they did. They did years ago. Years ago. Wind the watch. And then he just let, let the watch go. And the watch would continue. And the watchmaker would walk away. He would have nothing to do with the plan. It's called deism. And then the, there have been arguments in the church of God about how much free will do we have then? If God is predestinating, how much free will? Have I any choices to make? These are the questions. Augustine argued with Pelagius. Luther argued with Erasmus. Calvin argued with Arminius. Whitfield argued with Wesley. The Baptists argued with the Methodists. And we could go on. And we could go on. And you think, well, what is the answer? They've been arguing for 2,000 years about this. I want to tell you I got the answer. Whoa. After 2,000 years, I got the answer. Hmm. Now, lots of the illustrations go something like this. They talk about a rail track. We hear the rail track illustration. It's like predestination is one rail. Free will is the other rail. But in the end, you can't fully see where they go, but they work. I'm going to start on that. I think there's something in that. But I, I want to put it in another way. In another way. Because I know a place where predestination and planning and free will actually come together. I know. I know a place where they come together. In my life. Yeah. I'm dead serious. In my life, I have known God's plan. In my life, I have known my choices, good and bad. Reason by itself can't fully glue them together. But in my soul, I know both are right, and they meet right here. They meet right here. I can't deny it. God's been involved in my life. He has guided me. But I can't deny that I've taken decisions. Some of them wrong. Some of them a bit better. But in the flesh of my existence, I actually today recognized God is sovereign and I have free choice. I call it Calvinistic existentialism. It's mine. That's mine. Okay. Calvinistic existentialism. Predestination and free will can work out in our experience. Sometimes reason can only go so far. And sometimes the answer is our experience of life, which somehow makes it work together. So, where do you stand to see that working together? Years ago, I spent the year 2000, as, as I've said a number of times, in, in, in the Middle East, the sabbatical there. And I went to the great amphitheater in Amman, Jordan. It's fantastic. That's a picture of the amphitheater. And uh, it is incredible, just incredible. And there was nobody there, nobody there, just me. And a guide who wanted me to pay him, all right, 
to show to show him around. So I thought, yeah, yeah, of course. Let me get the best of this amphitheater. It's a Roman amphitheater. And as you see, right in the front, it's got a stage. You see the stage in the front? And there's room for quite a few hundred people uh, in that amphitheater. So he took me around and he said, uh, say something. So stand on stage and say something. Right? Say something. He said, hello. It was like this. Hello. He said, right now, he said, see that cross? Stand on that cross. Hello, whoa, 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 whoa. Hello, whoa, 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 Hello. Hello, whoa, 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 whoa. It was incredible. It was, it was, do you know, you didn't need a sound man. It was incredible. Maybe we should build a church with an amph like an amphitheater. We wouldn't have to pay for sound. I don't know. I don't know that. But when I stood on that spot, something happened. Everything came together. My voice became stereo, not mono. I stood on that spot. I stood on that cross. And when I stand on the cross of Christ, those things come together. They come together. Another dimension comes into your life that you didn't know even was there. You're standing on the cross, on the cross, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart flew away. Standing at the cross brings together free will. It brings together predestination. And what Paul calls it is being in Christ. In Christ. That's the spot to stand, to make sense of what God is doing, and to experience what God is doing as well. The fulfillment of meaning and choice is found when we are in Christ. I've spoken on this in church many a time. I understand this. Many of you probably haven't heard me preach about this. I, I speak about it all the time. And as Christians, we need to use biblical phrases. And here's a big biblical phrase that's key in this passage. Take a look. Verse 1b, the faithful in Christ Jesus. 3, blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, for he chose us in him. Verse 6, freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 9, purposed in Christ. Verse 11, in him, in him, we are also chosen. Verse 13, you also were included in Christ. Have I proved my point that in Christ is important? I think I have. In Christ. You see, God's restoration plan for humanity is when people are put in Christ. It is here that there is happiness. It is here there is blessing. It is here that there is meaning, even when bad things happen, and they do, and we all know it. We all know. We've had all too many funerals lately. We know that. But in the midst of that, we are adopted into Christ. We are made one in him in christ we're included in him and verse 7 says through his blood it's not automatic 
Not everyone who arrives on this planet is automatically in Christ. It's nonsense. If you said that to a, to a Buddhist, the Buddhist would be deeply offended. <laughs> he would say, no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And he'd be right, fair enough. Give him for a free choice. Absolutely. If you said that to an atheist, you say, no, 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 no. I'm not in Christ. I don't believe in God. You're not automatically in Christ. You're in Christ through his blood, through the death. We stand on the cross. That's what brings us there. That's what brings fulfillment. Today, it's hard to speak on a number of things. One of the things it's hard to speak about is Christ is the one and only Son of God. He's the way to God. It's hard to say that. We live in a pluralistic age where when it comes to religion, everyone's right. Oh, it's lovely. Everyone's right. Everyone's right. Oh, it's a wonderful word. Oh, nice. Bunny rabbits hopping all over the place. And, you know, the roses growing everywhere in the garden. And it's all lovely. And it's all a load of utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. If you want to play bunny rabbits in the garden, do it. But please know, you are throwing your mind out. Not everything is true. If something is true, something needs to be false. And I'm willing to say, if you can prove me false, that's okay. I'll argue my case. I'll argue my case. So says someone, is this Christianity thing an exclusive club? You're predestined and all this. Well, it's a top club. <laughs> I think so. It's a top club. But you know, entrance is through the blood of Christ. Not because we've got so much money. Now, those of you who know about golf clubs, do you know it's awful? The cheap golf clubs close. The two golf clubs I've been playing in America closed. They were really cheap. It was great. I could, get a, I could get a round of nine for $10. Well, great. Great. Closed. <laughs> there was another one. They built some flats on it. Or apartments, as you say. And you know, some of these clubs, you've got to show you've got a lot of money. You pay a lot for some of these clubs. You're paying up to 60000 a year to get, oh, yeah, this is different world, okay? Different world. Exclusive clubs. And yes, Christianity is an expensive club, but someone else has paid. I say that on a regular basis these days because people don't understand Christianity. They still think it's me earning my way to God. You ain't got a chance. You might as well try and get into a top golf club when you haven't got a job or you haven't got any money coming in. You can't get in. You've got to depend on someone else to pay. Hallelujah! Christ has paid. 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 And I'm standing on the cross of Christ in the amphitheater of this world. That's where I'm going to stand. And in standing there, I want the resonance of the gospel to go around that amphitheater as well because I'm standing in Christ. And the Holy Spirit can give and touch those words. He can change through the gospel message. He can do it. But there's one other thing. God's plan is for good. It's for good. It's for our good to begin with. I like that. I'm glad when someone's out for my good. I love it. I love it. Leo Tolstoy, 
the great writer, uh, War and Peace. And if you've read that, I tell you, that, that, that's a battle. That's a battle. And um, he says these words. I believe that the true welfare of man consists in fulfilling the will of God. Now, I don't agree with Tolstoy on lots of things, but I agree with him on that. The best for humanity is to do the will of God. It's the best. It's the best for ourselves. God's plan is not to spoil our lives. Jesus says very clearly that it's the evil one who wants to spoil our lives. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes in to steal and kill and destroy by any means. Listen to John 8.44, he was a, speaking of the evil one, he was a murderer from the beginning and uh, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, the father of all lies. And God says, I want to give you life to the full. Remember the old King James Version? Abundantly. We used to sing the song, more abundantly, more abundantly. I'm showing my age. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it's better to be in Christ. It's better. But it's not just about my happiness. It's also to the praise of his glorious grace. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. And that is repeated. To the praise of his glorious grace. When we come in Christ, we point to him as the one who was given to us. The one who has given us this new life. And we praise him. That's why we come. So we come to church. We stop during the week. And we say, do you know, I'm going to praise God today, this Sunday. I'm going to get together with the people of God. I'm going to thank him for what he's given to me. Or I'm going to ask for strength because I'm feeling weak. I want to be with the other people in this wagon train as we go towards eternal life. We need at times to circle the wagons. At other times, we need to advance. At times, it's hard. At times, it's wonderful. But we are together in Christ according to his purpose without deleting our own free will and our humanity. This is the introduction Paul gives us to what he is going to say in the rest of this incredibly powerful, rich book, which we could call so many things. I will leave you to put a title on it uh, at the end of this series. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have a purpose for us in Christ. We can stand on the cross and know that there somehow there is a, a new dimension that we can stand in. Thank you that you purpose that for us, in us, and through us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.